Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 35th episode of The Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, did you ever think making a podcast would be so hard? Uh, no, I knew editing was a reasonable amount of work before we started, but today was today was a lot. This week was a lot, I guess. Yeah, so this is... I guess if we want to be technical, the third attempt of us trying to record a podcast for the week, we tried doing it twice in the same room. And uh, every time we tried recording it in the same room, uh, the audio sounded like uh, garbage, I guess. So if there's any audio engineers that have any advice about how to set up recording studios with two people talking at the same time in the same room, hit us up. We uh, we need the help. But until then, we're just going to go with the same old mopey uh, setup that we have right now, and I'm sure Michael's roommates will walk across the screen 18 times, and we'll have Not a grand 18. old time. 18, they'll probably be like once or twice. Sure. <laughs> but uh, do you want to spend today's episode talking about podcast logistics and how upset I am, or do you want to talk about deck lists? <laughs> no, let's let's talk about some deck lists because there's some spice over ProQuest the first weekend of ProQuest. Okay, where what spice level do you want to start at? Well, let's let's start let's start mild. Let's start with Phi, the the kind of the boogeyman of the format. Okay, go for it. So we're starting with Stephen Carhers Carher. I don't know. Names are hard. Uh, he won a ProQuest with Phi. And uh, for his equipment, he has Blossom of Spring, Flamescale Furnace, Final Spring Tunic, Mask Momentum, Mask of the Pouncing Links, Searing Ember Blade, Snapdragon Scalers, Tide Flippers, and Tiger Stripe Shugo. Just go <laughs> so, for it. It's fine. Missed everybody loves <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it in we'll leave it in it's fine so go, just go so uh equipment's already like a little bit interesting it's got tunic blossom of spring and flame skull furnace you would you would think <laughs> i guess this kind of stands out to me because i would expect blossom of spring and flame skull furnace to both be for like the kind of fast matchups and Tunic would be for the longer matchups where you can get value out of multiple tunic counters, but including both Flamescale Furnace and Blossom of Spring, what what matchups would you play one over the other? Uh, when you want to go fast, but you don't want to block, and matchups where you want to block, but you might not go fast. So, like against Ice Lexi, you'd probably play like Flamescale Furnace, but against a deck like Icelander, you probably would play like Vindel uh, Spring Tunic, and then a deck like Reinar, you would just go room room fast, not have to care about on it, and play uh, Blossom of Spring. Okay, that that makes sense. Like decks that you're not going to block ever anyway, you just play Blossom of Spring into. Yeah, yeah. If you're not going to block and you want to go fast, Blossom. If you're not going to block and it's going to go long, Vindel Spring Tunic. And if you're going to block, uh, Flame Scale Furnace. Sure, makes sense. All right, moving on to the actual contents of the deck or the, the, the cards in the deck. At red, there's three Belittle, three Blaze Headlong, three Brand with Cinder Claw, two Command and Conquer, three Enlightened Strike, two Erase Face, two Fate Foreseen, three Flame Call Awakening, three Lava Burst, three Mounting Anchor, three Phoenix Flame, three Rise from the Ashes, three Rising Resentment, three Ronin Renegade, three Sink Below, three Snatch, and three Soaring Strike. At yellow, there's three Art of War, two Belittle, and two Salt the Wound. And at blue, there's three Brand with Claw, three Lava Vein Loyalty, two Minnowism, two Pursuit of Knowledge, three Rising Resentment, and three Soul Beat Strike. So what do you think about Pursuit of Knowledge? It's it's definitely spicy. And it looks like Pursuit of Knowledge was included at instead of Blue Snatch. Yeah, that's a bit odd to me. Yeah, that, that, sounds out, that stands out to me because... They do a lot of the same thing where they, they're a blue that threatens a pretty nice on hit. So it's pretty... Yeah, one costs pretty zero resources and the other costs two resources. And two is a lot higher than zero. Yeah, so the main reason that you would want Pursuit is it's better in hands where you have where you have too many blues. 
by like a lot. So if you have three blues and a red, maybe you would play pursuit, but it seems even in two blue hands, a lot of the time you would play your second blue if it was like a blue snatch, but with two blues, if one of them is pursuit of knowledge, I don't think you can really play the pursuit of knowledge. Yeah. I don't know. And then what's also interesting is that some phylists have three sync blues, but it's not a deck card that they're not going to play very often. But this list is opting for not only three sync blues, but two fate for scenes. So that's just a, a lot of defensive cards for a deck that wants to go broom broom, right? Yeah, I think this is kind of a concession to Oldheim. Phi is a deck that's like shown a lot of resilience to being fatigued. So the way most Oldheim decks attack Phi is by attacking with these disruptive on hits. And it's really nice to have your zero for four defense reactions against against Oldheim attacking you, especially when your deck doesn't block very well by itself. Yeah, that's fair. And then we also have what, uh, two copies of a race face, so and two copies of Command and Conquer, so splitting the difference between those two. I, I imagine race face is mostly for dash, but because uh, that can be a pretty tr- tricky matchup for uh, five. Dash is usually just actually like a step faster, unless you're on like your not double art of war, spreading flames turn or something like that. So uh, a race face could definitely help in that matchup. Yeah, that that makes sense. It is solid into dash. And kind of just forces her to block with two cards. So. Anything else you want to say about this uh, stock file list? I guess not stock, but uh, anything else you want to say about this file list? Yeah, I, I think most of the other stuff is stuff that we're pretty accustomed to seeing in file lists a lot of the time. The three rise from the ashes isn't in every file list, but I think it's a pretty common inclusion now. It's just frequently a zero for four. And that's good enough. You, just, you have to have two Phoenix Flames in the graveyard to really get your four points of value out of it. But when, when you do, then it's very solid. Yeah. And uh, so I guess despite our prediction that Phi would just be like all over the place in the metagame, there really weren't a lot of Phi showing up in top eights or the overall results of the weekend. What do you think that's attributed to? Yeah, I, I think, there were a lot of fives that registered, or a lot of players that registered Fi as their deck of choice, but it didn't have the best conversion rate. I think part of that is uh, Fi doesn't have a great matchup into Oldheim or Icelander, and those are the two most popular decks. So, not being good into the two most popular decks is not a great spot to be. Yeah, it's interesting that the Ice Heroes actually wound up being as prevalent as they are, and. I guess with that being said, which Ice Hero do you want to transition to next? Let's talk about Icelander. I love Icelander. I, I, I never knew that. So Noah Bagelman, I hope that's right, took Icelander to third place at the Battle Hardened in New Jersey. For equipment, he has Alluvian Constellus, Coronet Peak, Final Sprig Tunic, Ironhide Gauntlet, Metacarpus Node, Storm Shredders, and Waning Moon. Already, there's a few differences from my list that stand out. There's no Crown of Providence. There's no Nolrun Hood. There's no Iron Rot Gauntlet. So definitely trimming on the equipment to make space in the main deck or the the card card part of the deck. Yeah, the card cards that go in the card part of the deck instead of the equipment cards that go in the equipment card part of the deck. Yeah, cu- cutting these equipment that are like marginal upside in specific matchups will... We'll see what he chose to play instead of them. I, guess. I think the only one that like you play that I think was like absolutely necessary or gave you the most um, coverage was Nalrune Hood, just because AB5 in the mirror is just such a critical thing to cover up their ready Thrice Veins. And once you're unable to cover up their ready Thrice Veins cleanly, it just kind of puts you at a pretty severe disadvantage as far as like being able to keep functional hands or do anything on your turn after they come at you with a red eighth or ice vein especially if they have a piece of disruption like chilling ice vein or amnid device and you're just lowering their requirements to have those disruptive cards and set them up once you're on av4 so i don't think coronet peak or sorry i don't think crown of providence is hugely necessary in old time it's just nice and i really don't think iron rock gauntlet like that's just like the most marginal one percent I think you can get into Phi because Iron High Gauntlet's still fine in that matchup. It's not um, you know, a huge spew by any stretch of the imagination, but just the Null Rune would just kind of be the one piece of equipment that I would really like to see added back in. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. I 
I think Iron Rock Gauntlet's probably like definitely the worst of the three things that were cut. I do think Crown of Providence gives you a lot of equity against Old Heim. Being comfortable just like arsenaling your sinks below and not getting blown out by Command and Conquer is really nice. Though some Old Heims are even cutting Command and Conquer or trimming it or cutting it in the matchup. So if they're not all playing three Command and Conquers against you, then it kind of feels a lot worse to be playing Crown of Providence. Yeah. But it's just... Specifically, it was Command and Conquer Pommel turns that it was the hardest for Icelander to deal with. So moving on to the card cards in the card deck. <laughs> we have at red, three Aether Ice Vein, two Command and Conquer, two Encase, three Enlightened Strike, three Finals Fighting Spirit, three Sink Below, and three Wounded Bull. At yellow, there's three Aether Ice Vein. And at blue, there's three Aether Hail, three Amulet of Ice, three Blizzard, three Brain Freeze, three Brothers in Arms, three Channel Lake Frigid, one Chain of the Bleak Expanse, three Cold Snap, three Emeritus Scolding, two Energy Potion, three Frost X, three Frosting, one Heart of Fiendal, three Hypothermia, three Ice Bolt, three Ice Eternal, three Insidious Chill, three Polar Blast, two Winter's Bite. Real quick, is that Misty making that noise in the background still, like those clicks and clocks? I think it's Koopa. Let uh, me... Uh... Yeah, I just keep hearing them clickety-clackety. Okay, okay. Let me see what I can do. Okay. See if I can calm them down. I uh, shook his food bowl around, and he stopped for now. I don't know. I don't know if he'll stay stopped. I guess we'll just have to clickety-clacksy. Misty says hi. And there he goes again. Oh my god. I'm sorry. Who knew making a podcast would just be this easy, you know? Uh huh. Don't take off your. Yeah. You can't. It'll ruin the video magic, but I'm warm. Okay. Um, Just take it off now. It's fine. Okay. Okay. So what do you think the uh, two in case are there for? Do you think there's a good plan for them or do you think they're there just in case? <laughs> um, I actually don't know what in case is for. It does help trigger like Amulet of Ice and Insidious Chill, but the card by itself isn't really doing anything powerful on rate, I guess. It's just zero for three that costs your action point also. I guess like it's Phi, it's a zero for four, because if they can't activate Phi's hero ability, that's a point of damage you're saving against Phi. It's a zero cost card. And Ice Bind is situational for them having to have an uh, arsenal in order to get value out of it. So maybe it's just a hedge against Phi in particular. Yeah, that that makes sense. It it is solid into Phi with stopping the hero activation, and Phi never... Well, I shouldn't say never, but we basically never see AB3 from Phi, so. Mm. It does shut him down. Yeah, and then there's always uh, the other additional upside of Phi not being able to activate uh, Phi Dale Spring Tunic or um, Tide Flippers. Importantly, though, if they're running, uh, I guess, either Headpiece, uh, Masculine Pouncing Links, or Masculine Momentum, it's not going to stop that because it's a trigger. Same with Tiger Stripe Shuko, since they're just triggered abilities, not activated abilities, in case doesn't stop those from doing their thing. Yeah. So there are some other kind of notable inclusions here. We also see two Cabanon Conquerors, which is a card that we've both we've both played with. And I know you recently said you weren't very happy with it in your Ice Center deck, and I, I was not very happy with it like the first time I played it and they just blocked with two cards. I'm like, <laughs> I was yeah. ready to find something else. Um, it, a lot of people are trying to bring Command and Conquerors back into Icelander just as like a hedge into Icelaxy in particular, I think. I think the issue overall with having it is that it's hard to find good use cases for it where you're, like you said, not just letting your opponent block with two cards and move on with their life. I guess with that being said, 
normally if they're blocking with two cards and then you're also disrupting them on their turn like i guess it's making your disruption less impactful because if you make them block with two cards and then they just come back pitch a card attack you you giving them a frostbite without any frost hexes or any disruption you have lined up isn't necessarily uh doing what you're intending to be doing with the deck and it's not pushing damage through cleanly because obviously the six break points usually pretty easy for decks to block and i think a lot of the time Fi's opponents in particular have arsenals less often than other decks and the reason that Icelanders opponents what did i, I keep saying Fi. and i think Icelanders opponents have arsenals less often than the average deck in general just because if you're forcing your opponent to pitch uh extra cards normally if they're pitching that card that could have been the card they would have set up to arsenal and if they're using those for resources instead of an arsenal then obviously your command of conquer is not even threatening anything if they don't have an arsenal to begin with so i guess that's always been my issue with the card um but i didn't know if you have anything else to add yeah i i would say that a lot of the time they want to keep their arsenal empty because if you disrupt them in a way that stops them from playing a card, they want to have their arsenal available to put the card in arsenal. So like if you have an empty arsenal and I play, or if the Fi has an empty arsenal and the ice center plays a channel like frigid, then a lot of the time the Fi will just end up arsenaling one of the cards because he won't be able to use it effectively. And same for like getting blizzarded sometimes or situations like that. It's really nice to be able to just throw something in arsenal that you can't use because of her disruption. So like, you want to keep your arsenal empty for that reason. Yeah, but I guess on the turn cycle after that, then if you like play Channel like Frigid, the arsenal, and then you cha- uh, command a conquer, I guess that's kind of like the play pattern you want to like ideally have. But it's just not always going to line up that way. Yeah. And then the the last thing that I think is, I guess the last two things is in the blues. There's I guess there's a few interesting blue things happening. So first, we don't see any copies of Blue Aether Ice Vein. What do you think about that? Um, I don't hate it, especially if you're on the extra Ice Fuse cards of Encase. Blue Aether Ice Vein can be pretty clunky a lot of the time, and decks are usually on AV3. Like the decks that, um, I guess decks are usually polarized in between like AV1, 3, or 5. Um, and 5 is usually only the Icelander Mirror, just because so many of her pieces of equipment have natural AB2. So against the decks that have AB3, it's not great. Against the decks that have AB1, they're usually the more aggressive decks. And playing uh, uh, Aether Ice Vein on their turn isn't... It, it requires a full pitch of a card, and that can be kind of clunky sometimes. So I don't hate cutting it. I still think... I would prefer to have it over yellow Aether Ice Veins, but uh, I guess uh, it, it would warrant, warrant further testing. Yeah, I, I think that kind of matches my opinion, too. I, I don't think it's like an amazing card that you have to keep in the deck, but I do think I like it more than yellow Aether Ice Vein, unless, you're, unless your opponents are very, very, very often presenting AB3 against you, then I would probably prefer the yellow but if most of the time they're representing ab1 or more than ab3 then i think blue is for the most part better than yellow yeah and then i guess like the spiciest piece of tech though is just the one channel the bleak expanse and i guess that's just meant to be like your fourth channel like frigid in the end game in the icelander mirror i guess that i think that might be the only spot where you bring it in right where uh your opponent can't um fuse and trigger their stuff on your turn while this is in play and it's going to last your full turn cycle even if you don't pitch an ice card so it just kind of gives you that little safety blanket for however long it's in play against dying to like the ice eternal um combo right yeah it it does it does protect you from ice eternal combo it is kind of weird though because you're also turning off your own combo so if you're if you're playing it then they can't combo you but you also can't combo them so maybe it's i guess it ends at the it goes away at the end of your turn so then you can play your ice eternal on their turn but it seems kind of weird there i think it's also like okay at spots against Phi because it stops both belittle and art of war from doing their thing which is nice i always found that it was like 
too conditional i guess you'd stick it in arsenal and then they just like play normal hands for two turns then you wouldn't have an arsenal for those two turns basically yeah or you would draw it and they're casting art of war and then you just have this two block in your hand you're like oh and then you don't want to arsenal after that because they do their little art of war turn all together and if you don't have it then then yeah yeah then the rest of the time it's bad and that's similar to my issue with hypothermia against five we're just like so often it is sitting at arsenal waiting for a point where it can actually get value and it can take quite a while for that to happen so i i generally don't like those kind of conditional cards against Fi. yeah i would agree okay any Ready final thoughts oh yeah uh how do we think Icelander is going to be positioned, uh, I guess, going forward? I think Icelander is still in a pretty good spot. I think her old old high matchup isn't amazing. I don't think it's horrible, but I would say that it's not amazing either. So I I think she's in a good spot as long as the aggro decks stay popular. She's got a good five matchup, has a very good Briar matchup. But yeah. That makes sense. And I think you shouldn't cut Scar for a Scar. That card's very good. It's me. It's okay. <laughs> where, where are we going to next? Are we talking about the other Iceman now? Yeah, yeah. Let's go to Fred Bird's Oldheim deck. So this was another another spicy version of Oldheim. It took down, or Fred took down Battleheart and leads with it. So for equipment, there's Arcane Lantern, Crater Fist, Crown of Seeds, Final Spring Tunic, Mage Master Boots, Nolrun Boots, Nolrun Gloves, Rampart of the Ram's Head, Sledge of Anvilheim, Stalagmite, Bastion of Eisenloft, and Winter's Whale. So pretty typical equipment suite. There's a Mage Master Boots uh, and Arcane Lantern, but I think those are the only things that like stand out a little bit. There is both Rampart and Stalagmite. Okay, Michael, let's get into the card cards of the deck now. So what kind of card cards can we expect here? <laughs> so for the card cards, at red, there's three Command and Conquer, three Enlightened Strike, Three Glacial Footsteps, one Imperial Warhorn, three Oakenold, three Pummel, three Sigil of Solace, three Sink Below, three Spinal Crush, three Staunch Response, two Thunderquake. At yellow, there's one Toma Fiendal, and at blue, there's three Autumn's Touch, two Blizzard, three Channel Lake Frigid, three Choke Slam, two Cold Snap, three Disable, three Glacial Footsteps, one Heart of Fiendal, one Hypothermia. Three Imposing Visage, one Sotomaro, one Stamp Authority, three Terrace Under, three Tome of Harvests, three Winter's Bite, and three Winter's Grasp. So I guess first we're probably going to want to talk about this Imperial Warhorn, but in case people aren't aware of what this very prevalent and very good card does, I'm just going to read it off real quick. It is a new card from Dynasty. It costs two. It only comes in red as a Majestic. It's legendary, so you can only have one Imperial Warhorn in your deck. And it reads, action, pay a resource, destroy Imperial Warhorn, choose any number of heroes. Each of them chooses an ally, aura, item, or landmark permanent they control. Destroy each permanent chosen this way. If you are royal, instead you choose the permanence. So I would imagine what the plan is with this card is first you play it on your turn. And you don't do anything else for your turn because it takes your action point. Then your opponent will give you a Frost Hex because Frost Hex is an aura that is given to you by Icelander and you sacrifice it. I don't imagine you would play this anywhere else because let's say you're playing against Dromai. What you're going to do then against Dromai is you're going to play this, give up your action point, activate it, and make them sacrifice a dragon. And you're going to get one Aether Ashling for two action points and a card. And that sounds atrocious. I can't... I mean, maybe if Prism came back into Classic Instructed and Oldheims didn't want to lose to Library of Solana, you could make them sacrifice a landmark. Or you could choose... Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't really see so, any other use for this card. So there is one other use case for it. It's uh, in the Dash matchup, where Dash... Game, Dash is the most common Dash game plan into Oldheim is she's going to sit around and do nothing and build up this board of five items, like three induction or two induction chamber, three plasma purifier, and use those, use them all to pump up her pistol and attack Oldheim with 
a really strong weapon and just play really defensive and just shoot the pistol. Because if she tries to go the boost aggro plan into Oldheim, she's very, very vulnerable to fatigue. Warhorn, just killing one of those items stops so much of her damage potential. So I think it would be pretty good in that matchup as well. That's fair. I'm skeptical that it would do enough, but maybe it would. Yeah, I think... Because you would never sacrifice the go again item, right? You would always just, it just, you would just shave off one. It would save you two points of damage per turn cycle then, because usually they attack you twice, right? It'd be three points of damage if she has the the two induction chambers out. So that's quite a bit of damage for one resource turning into three damage every turn. Shaving that off of Dash's damage output is, is very valuable. Okay, I can see that. The other thing worth mentioning about Warhorn is this deck list does include Mage Master Boots. So in the dash matchup specifically, you could use Mage Master Boots to play the Warhorn and still do something because you'll get your action point back. You can either use that action point to spend your tunic resource to activate the Warhorn, or you could just do something else with your action point. Yeah, because it costs a resource to activate Mage Master Boots. So I assume you're pitching the blue, you get one resource to activate, two to... Uh, cast and then you still need an additional resource to activate so like you said usually a tunic would be what you would want to most efficiently do because you wouldn't want to pitch a whole nother card have those two floating resources and not really have a way to spend them so so if it's if it's good against Icelander and it's good against dash which are i, I mean they're both they're both like pretty relevant heroes in the metagame i'd say i think it is probably worth a slot assuming those two statements are true that it's good against Icelander and good against Ash, which I haven't tested with it yet, but he won leads and he won the battle herd in there. So I, there's probably something going on. It's worth testing at least. Yeah. They're really leading the world in innovation over there. Right. The other thing that we see is this is not the more, <laughs> this is not as aggressive of an old time deck as we're used to seeing from most old time decks. Now this deck has, three Sigil of Solace, three Sink Below, and three Red Staunch Response. So it has nine of its reds are just devoted to being defensive cards. And also at blue, it's not playing... I guess before we go to blue, it's also playing Oakenold with the... uh, like a high blue earth count. And then at blue, it's not playing nearly as many of the typical big blue guardian attacks that we're used to seeing. There's no... There's no blue glacial footsteps. There's no blue. There's blue glacial footsteps. There's three glacial footsteps. Oh, Oh, I'm blind. Okay. It's missing the other ones then. What are the other ones? Uh, Uh, Cranial cranial Crush crush and Macho Grande and Thunderquake. It's missing all of those. So it, it, and it, it cut them to make room for both the extra earth cards for Oakenold and then also this kind of imposing visage package where it's got three copies of imposing visage and it's got one stamp authority, one hypothermia, and it can use on turn zero if it goes first, it can pitch two cards to play imposing visage and get the stamp authority to, to do what? Which is a card that people probably don't know what it does. But stamp uh, authority says... Uh, when it enters the arena, if you have two or more cards and you pitch them with cost three or greater, you're here against plus one intellect until on a turn. So if you use uh, if you use stamp or imposing massage to go get that on turn zero, then you can pitch two blues that cost three or more, get stamp authority, and then your intellect goes up by one for that turn. So you get five cards plus your arsenal. And then it also has the additional text where on hit abilities don't trigger against you while it's on the battlefield, right? Yeah, yeah. Though I don't think that is super relevant. I guess that spots that it would matter. Yeah, that's what I was. I was primarily focusing on that line of text, where I guess like what matchups would you most care about preventing the on hit effects? Probably Oldheim. Like it probably is good in the mirror then, because you're just stopping all of their crush or uh, disruptive elements from coming back on you. No command and conquer stuffs happening. No pummels happening to you, um, or anything like that. But I don't think there are any other like super relevant on hit triggers that happen in any other matchups that you would care about. I would say if you're playing it on turn zero, it does have pretty nice upside against Briar since her embodiments of earth are very impactful against you. You want to be swinging winners well at her most turns. And 
or even bigger attacks. And if she doesn't, the difference between her having an embodiment and not having an embodiment is usually one or two points of life per turn. And I guess she's also a hero that's normally playing like Coax Commotion and Snatch and stuff like that too. So stopping those cards mm-hmm. is like some amount of equity as well. So yeah, making your Briar matchup even better. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the classic... Um, three pummels but also three sigil of solace so once you have an extra card in your hand most people are like oh there's a pummel i'm gonna play around this pummel and make sure that i'm blocking really effectively and you go okay and then you play your sigil of solace and then they feel real dumb and uh i know you're quite a fan of that those those cards yeah, that, being played together that was that's one of my favorite interactions like the cards don't like usually they're not like perfect for the same game plan but there is a lot of value in including both in your list because if you have two cards they have to like think about the possibility of pummel and sometimes you just play a sigil it's powerful very true so is it just just an old time world and we're just living in it now because i really can't think of a deck that really beats up on old time that also doesn't just lose to the clock because i guess like dromai <laughs> if they specifically tech to beat oldheim right with like the end game of like ghostly touch or whatever that's usually oldheim's worst matchup but that matchup also takes like two hours to finish a game so yeah i think the dromai versus oldheim matchup my summary of it is if the dromai wants to win the matchup they can devote the slots to it and they need to practice it a lot because it's actually really technical from the dromai side to beat the guardians especially guardians with a lot of poppers but if a Dromai does that, it's really hard to beat it with old time, especially when you only have three go again attacks with the three enlightened strikes. So it's really hard to clear multiple dragons. Mm-hmm. So, but aside from that, there's really not a deck that like could beat this because the Imperial Warhorn stops Icelander's most common way of defeating old time, which is just like the end game Ice Eternal Frost X combo, right? Yeah, if the Imperial Warhorn tech is good enough to swing the Ice Lander matchup pretty heavily in your favor, and it makes the dash matchup from like a slightly negative matchup to like even or slightly positive, then this just looks like it could potentially be the best deck. And I guess there is one deck that does smash this deck, and we're not talking about it today, but the Iris of Reality, Dromite decks. I don't know how you're supposed to beat that with Guardian. Yeah, but I don't know how anybody, I don't know how the deck beats anything else. But I guess it's a yeah, but it, it destroys guardians. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> anything else you want to say before we move on? Then uh, I don't. I don't think so. Okay, where are we where are we going to next then, Michael? Where in the world are we going? So next we have Connor Rooney's Bravo deck, also or from Battleheart in New Jersey. He got fifth with Bravo Showstopper for. Equipment, there's Anathos, Crater Fist, Crown of Providence, Final Spring Tunic, Iron Rot Legs, Norrin Boots, Norrin Gloves, Norrin Hood, and Tectonic Plating. Sounds like a very typical Bravo equipment suite to me. The one thing that's the one thing that stands out is the Final Spring Tunic, and that's there for Icelander. At red, there's three Commander Conquer, three Crippling Crush, three Erase Face, three Fate Foreseen, three Pulverize, three Pummel. Three Sigil of Solace, three Sink Below, three Spinal Crush, and three Zealous Belting. At blue, there's one Buckle, three Buckling Blow, three Choke Slam, three Cranial Crush, three Debilitate, three Disable, three Imposing Visage, two Lunging Press, three Macho Grande, three Rousey Ancients, three Showtime, one Stamp Authority, three Terrace Under, three Thunderquake, and three Unmovable. So once again, seeing the imposing visage turn zero set up with stamp authority. So I guess that's just like the new hot tech that all the guardians are playing right now. Yeah, I think it's, I, I would say it's better in Bravo because of Bravo's limited access to like good blues. <laughs> I was about to say good cards, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good cards. That is not wrong. Uh, you You also see, Imposing Visage is also pretty good that it can get showtime. So, like, I think the best thing Bravo can do on turn zero is Imposing Visage, get a showtime, and then heave a Pulverize. And then you have this heave Pulverize, and the next turn you draw an extra card off your showtime. And that's that's just a very, very strong opener. Talk to me about three Pulverize, though. I've been seeing this pop up more and more, and I'm just like... How are you ever casting three pulverize in a game? 
Yeah, I three three seems like a lot. I don't I don't really know why you have three, but Bravo's cards aren't very good. He has Crippling Crush, which is a good card, and then after that, like it just goes downhill very quickly. <laughs> so fair enough. I think I think like well, well Pulverize is a card that you like never see three of in old time. I think in Bravo, it's not nearly as bad just because your card quality is so meh. Yeah, I don't know how you can talk about bad card quality when we have Lunging Press All-Star in here, a card that either gets two value on defense or one value on offense. That's just that's just good, clean quality value right there, Michael. Could you imagine in a world where you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to block uh, 14 through this Pulverize and come back with my zero for four and get them. And then you just lunging pressure over the pulverize to the fifteenth point of damage and get them, get them real good. Yeah, L- lunging press it can be worth one damage and this on hit that is sometimes worth a card. If that on hit's worth a card, then your lunging press was worth it. But the amount of times you're just gonna have the stupid lunging press that blocks for two and isn't three cost for your anathos. It just seems like a pretty. It's very high cost to include it in your deck. Or I get like the, I guess like the the most reasonable upside is your opponent just comfortably blocks uh, like your spinal crush spinal crush for six and you just push it to ten value and then you spinal crush them and then you just whoop 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 into the sunset. Yeah, it being the difference between crippling crush hitting it or crushing and not crushing is also pretty big. Yeah. So yeah. I I could see spots where it would blow people out. <laughs> but then I guess that being said too, most people are going to be playing defense reactions into uh, Bravo anyways. So unless your Spinal Crush is then dominated and they can't commit any more cards to block if they have a defense reaction, they can blow out your blowout pretty regularly, I would imagine. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I would assume it was like at least solid for Connor over the weekend. He top aided the event with it. So yeah, fair enough. So where do we think but, uh, Boomer Bravo is going to sit in the metagame, though? Does he just um, kind of like this awkward middle ground hero that um, is popping up? Because he could also include this Imperial Warhorn tattoo to show up or drill my matchup, although he doesn't usually go as long into Icelander, given that he's just generally more aggressive, right? Yeah, I, I do think Bravo is a, a solid choice into Icelander, especially when you have the Tunic tech. I just... I don't really know why you would choose to play Bravo instead of Oldheim. I think Oldheim doesn't have any matchups that like you'd rather be Bravo in. And I think the card quality you get when you play all these good ice cards and the quality of Winner's Whale and Stalagmite is just worth playing Oldheim over Bravo, basically. Yeah, that's fair. So... Yeah, I, I don't think... I guess Bravo is a pretty good budget option. You can play Skullcap over Crown of Providence, and if you don't play the Tunic, then the deck is very cheap. So that is an argument to play Bravo, but... That's fair. Yeah, I, th- I think if cost isn't an issue and you want to play a Guardian, you should go with Oldheim. And you can build Oldheim in a lot of different ways. You can make him more aggressive and stuff, and he's probably just does it better than Bravo. Fair enough, fair enough. I guess, uh, speaking of budget, then, do we want to talk about our next uh, Dromai deck? Yeah, so Arthur Murda won a ProQuest with a budget Dromai deck. For equipment, there's Deep Blue, Ironhide Helm, Mage Master Boots, Norvern Hood, Norvern Robe, and Silken Form, and Sash of Sandakai. So, all commons in the equipment slots. No, no, let. No legendaries, no expensive cards. Mm-hmm. At red, there's two Burn Them All, three Dunebreaker Son of High, two Erina's Ar- Prayer, one Erase Face, two Fate Foreseen, three Invoke Asvali, three Invoke Chromai, one Invoke Dominia, three Invoke Kyloria, three Invoke Miragi, two Invoke Necria, one Invoke Uvia, two Invoke Thamai, one Invoke Tomaltai, three Invoke Vinserakai, three Invoke Yenderai, Three Oasis Respite, three Rake the Embers, two Ravenous Rabble, three Sigil of Solace, three Sink Blow, three Snatch, two Spears of Surreality, three Sweeping Blow. At yellow, there is one Remembrance, 
two that all you got, and one Tomify and all. And at blue, there's three Evermoss Enopi, two Energy Potion, three Passing Mirage, three Sweeping Blow, and one Time Snap Potion. Okay. So, this is... I don't think we were going to talk about this list at first, just because we were like, oh, well, we're like a highest level competitive, you know, focus podcast. We want people to, you know really understand what's going on at like the highest levels of competition and well this deck clearly could be you know optimized by throwing some money at it uh, with some of the legendary pieces of equipment that it's missing there's no cards like command and conquer in it um so i i that's what's what's making us say that it's a budget option but that being said it's still one and i also don't think it's that much worse than regular versions of Dromai, I guess, like the more standard default versions. And I guess that's kind of what we wanted to talk about. Um, so I don't know if you want to go into any of the, those considerations as well, though, Michael. I guess I, I just really like that this shows that you can win a pro quest with, without like breaking the bank. Some of the cards that you would include in a more typical Dromai list, I guess the biggest one is Crown of Providence. That is like, I think it's over $200 right now. And I think the whole deck is probably less than $200 without Crown of Providence. And that's, I don't know. It's really cool, I guess. Yeah. And there have been discussions about, you know, is Fab a too um, high, like, skill ceiling format right now? And does it need more variance in order to compete? And I guess, like, one of the benefits of a game being lower variance or where better players are going to win more often is that the if you're getting more equity out of being better than your opponent, instead of having more equity out of just having better cards than your opponent, I think I would still much rather lean towards a game that has better equity out of people being better than people who can just throw money and win the game. So uh, I think that wasn't really discussed a lot in some of the discussions online. I don't know. I guess I, I didn't play super close attention to how the conversation developed, but I guess that's just kind of like, my two cents on that take but i don't know if you have any other sentiments on that topic yeah i i really like that i really like that if the game being lower variance means that if you have the skills and you're the you you play better than the other people at the event then you could win with a deck that maybe isn't optimized perfectly because you play better than the other people and that's something that like would go away more, I guess, if the game had more variance in it, I think. I don't know. Yeah, because I imagine the variance would be tied to, like, more individual, like, higher power-level cards. And that would obviously be more expensive, higher power-level cards than, um, given that that's just how card games work. When something's good and powerful and rare, the price goes up. And if that's also leading to people winning, like, games that are creating more variance, then I would imagine that would just start to become some of the most like expensive cards in the game. Mm -hmm. And since we're touching on this conversation, I think like one thing that draws people to card games a lot is like all the dynamic board states and how the games change a lot. And I think flesh and blood does a really good job at like having these dynamic board states and like the games not feeling very samey. Like every game feels reasonably different in my opinion. And it does that without imposing a ton of variance in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And like, just from like, ultimately, the flavor of Flesh and Blood is just like these two warriors starting out at like their peak potential, they have all of their cards, all of their resources, all of their equipment. And then like, as life totals get lower, you're just starting to like scrap it out and brawl and it starts to really feel like, you know, that flavor of like, oh, man, like, I, I'm feeling like I, I'm worn out from this battle like i have lower life total i have less equipment i've used all of my best tricks in my deck and now i'm still here and we're both at one life and we're just kind of like scrapping it out flaccidly swinging a hammer back and forth with your last <laughs> blue and it's just like i don't know it's cool or you're azalea and you're just dying so i don't know it's just a, it's just good flavor or you're azalea and you're just dying <laughs> you ran out of arrows yeah, like, yeah you just that's you what happens sometimes you can't hit people you with your bow you can't go like eh. yeah you you didn't bring a backup weapon. You just have your bow. You ran out of arrows. You're you're in trouble now. Yeah, you're just gonna get smashed in the face by a hammer. Sorry, because they can keep swinging their hammer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I guess 
touching on the list, it is a very dragon heavy version of Dromai. I think there's like 30 different invokes or 30 invokes or something. Mm. So very dragon heavy, pretty blue light with 12 total with some of them being cards that I assume aren't played in every matchup. And then we see the Mage Master's Tome combo that also works well with Chromai because Chromai can give you an action point to play the Tome also. So. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I changed the subject a little bit, but... It's okay. I want to get back on the, the deck. Anything else you wanted to add about this Dromai list? Um, I guess it's just, how do we see Dromai shaking out, like, budget or not, in the meta going forward? I guess in the world of uh, old Himes and Icelanders, does it just seem like it's time to bust out the dragons? Yeah, we, we kind of talked about this in the old Heim discussion, but I think Dromai can be old Heim if she really wants to, especially if you go the weird Iris of reality build, which might be, <laughs> I, I don't know how that deck does against the different aggro decks. I have not tested a lot of Iris of reality, but I, have lost to a lot of prisms in, as playing guardians and i know auras are really bad so yeah really bad for you but what about icelander um sorry um icelander is in my opinion a slightly draw my favorite matchup it becomes harder if the icelanders are playing more poppers so when you include two command and conquerors on top of maybe your Dolls and your wounded bulls that makes your draw my matchup a lot better but i would say if Icelander and Oldheim are two of the more popular decks, and you're not expecting a lot of Fi or a lot of Viserai, then Dromai is a pretty solid choice. Or a lot of Reinar. Reinar is also a really bad matchup for Dromai. Yeah, but I don't think Reinar or Viserai are anywhere near uh, like relevant deck choices at this point in the meta. Maybe something will change and somebody will prove us wrong with that, but uh, definitely based on our testing and week one results, it doesn't seem like we're in... Uh, very Viserai or Reinar heavy meta. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say if the metagame is Iceland or Oldheim Dromai, then I think Reinar is at least reasonable into that field. I think like he's a little short on power, but those are all matchups that his deck should line up well against. You would think. You would really think that, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. I say having like played zero Reinar games outside of Limited. Yeah, I actually uh, busted out some Reinar testing after... Um, we had a conversation at a team meeting. I was like, maybe Reinar is sick. And then I played a couple matches of Reinar and I was like, oh yeah, I'm just Reinar still. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. But hey, Reinar has some, some put up some results as well. So Yeah, and I might not be the best uh, Reinar player in the world. So maybe somebody else out there is going to prove me wrong. Yeah, I, I wouldn't count him out. Okay. Ready to move on to our last deck? I don't. I don't want to talk about Briar anymore. I'm over it. I just want to okay. edit however much we have and just call it an episode. So I'll just. All right. So, no last deck. We won't talk about Briar today. So, any concluding thoughts before uh, we wrap up the cast in general, Michael? Do you think this is a healthy meta? Do you think this is uh, too ice heavy, uh, or do you think there's just uh, some results that have yet to be just break out? I guess. So. I love the ice heroes. I love Oldheim and Icelander. And I think currently I don't think I would take action based on like week one. I think there are counters to the ice heroes. I think Dromai looks good. I think that I guess I think Dash looks solid in this field as well. And I think potentially Reinar might be good. I think there's like ways to fight these ice heroes and they're kind of like spread out trying to like they have good matchups in the aggro decks because their ice disruption lines up really well against the aggro decks but when decks that aren't vulnerable to this ice disruption or aren't as vulnerable to the ice disruption are more popular like dromai like dash like Reinar, even then we'll we'll see if they can stay on top i guess and i personally i really like both the ice heroes so like if they're the best two decks but it's not like oppressive or they're not winning like or they're not like a huge percentage of the field or anything i think it's fine if these two ice control decks are like the best decks as long as the other decks have tools to fight against them yeah and i guess i didn't even consider like bans until you just said something but like i think the only card that like you would ban that was shared between the two would be channel like frigid and i'm pretty sure once you ban channel like frigid the format actually just degenerates into like five's the best deck dot format or like 
dash just like once that the, that card is gone like there's nothing stopping dex from just going like pedal to the metal 100 percent of the time like red line versions of the deck almost so i i could see them touching hypothermia because hypothermia out of icelander and the matchups that it's good in is really kind of stupid <laughs> you let us like lose two cards of value sometimes and that can be like that's just a lot for one card to do but that that said i think i i don't think icelander is the best deck in the format right now i think i would say old times probably better and because of that i would be hesitant to ban a card from icelander but it does allow you like banning hypothermia or suspending hypothermia until icelander living legends does allow decks like dash to actually have a very good icelander matchup it lets drill might have a reasonably better icelander matchup and it lets briar maybe have a fighting chance against icelander which could be what the format needs to be a little healthier yeah and at this point like this would be like if we're going to ban cards out of old time again this would basically be like the third time we're banning cards out of a guardian deck you know in the past like year uh i guess starbo is a bit of a unique circumstance but like still banning that arms test did have an impact on old time um for as much as he really wasn't a factor in that meta well even even not counting starvo this would be old time's third ban we have banned awakening and we've banned pulse of eisenloft oh yeah you're right so, you're right yeah so if, if old time gets hit again that is his third ban i thought i forgot about awakening i just blanked on that card for some reason i also contributed awakening more towards starvo as well i guess but like I guess like it was first picked up on like people thinking it was problematic in old time. So, well, I, I think awakening just was fine until pulverize got printed. And then it was problematic because free pulverizes is very, very powerful. Yeah. It turns out um, cost reduction uh, is not a thing that you want people to do very easily. We see that with Skeletta. We've seen that with awakening and I think eventually we'll see that with courage of blade hold, but we'll get there. We'll just need a better one. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I guess, Courage of Bladehold is very strong, but I think, like, the the fact that Awakening and Skeletta have much higher, like, limits of how many resources they can generate, like... For now. Skeletta was basically unlimited, and Awakening can generate, like, 10 resources, which turns which is, like, a plus... a plus five or something. Is That's it's just a lot of resources, whereas Courage of Bladehold... I guess it does generate six on your Lumina, Lumina Volan turns. So Yeah, and I think like Skeletta put a cap on the design space on Runeplate cards for the rest of time because you can't generate cards that you get too much value out of Skeletta. And Awakening put a cap on the design space on Guardian cards because you can't print huge overcosted Guardian cards. And then have them. can't print pulverize when you have awakening. Yeah, exactly. So like now they could even pr- print like even dumber, like harder to cast cards than like pulverize if they wanted. But you can't do that if mm-hmm. awakening exists. And I think courage of blade hold functions a very similar function, where you can't print really expensive like swords or like warrior weapons while it's existing. And if we ever see like a weapon that's too pushed in warrior which i don't think will ever happen because lss hates warrior uh source i'm a bolton player uh, and but if that ever did happen and they've decided to forgive us and give us a good like sword i think courage we would see courage of blade hold potentially become a problem so yeah that makes sense Cur- courage is very powerful and cost reduction is very powerful agreed so I guess uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate all the support. And the next time you are playing Flesh and Blood, always remember, mind your manners. Thanks for listening. Bye.